stream last night and the whole the whole idea of doing a charity stream I think what I'm gonna start doing and tell me what you think about this is the first Friday of every month when the bundle drops doing a 24-hour charity stream and donating all the proceeds to whatever the charity is of the humble bundle that month as well every single month a 24-hour stream every single month one 24-hour stream <laughs> I mean I'm into it, but I'm also terrified of it. Is it's a, it's a solid four hours to devote to every game through the whole stream. If you wanted to do them all in one <laughs> night because you're a maniac. But then I get my two weeks back. <laughs> That's the trade-off you're willing to make? Is you're willing to give, what, like, you're completely just destroying your sleep schedule every month for one day. Well, no, 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 the, the nice month. part is because of my insomnia, it allows me to reset it every month, hopefully. Oh, I see. <laughs> what do you think? You think it's a good idea? A monthly 24-hour charity stream? Johnny, <laughs> trying to like talk some sense into you here. <laughs> like you're just like, like this is this is 100% what I've already decided and I'm going to do it regardless of your opinions, David. It wasn't actually a conversation. <laughs> well, great work. I uh thanks. Uh I guess I'll support you in your decisions. Uh <laughs> What are our games this month we're talking about? Uh well, I mean, we should say our names first. Oh. Yeah. I'm David. Hi. I'm Johnny, and I'm selling my soul for art. <laughs> yeah, that's what we do on Twitch, baby. That's what we do. It's for the clout. The Uncertain, The Last Quiet Day is the first game that we're going to be covering in this Humble Choice coverage of the October 2020 bundle. Faye Tactics is the second game that we're going to be talking about from this Humble Choice bundle coverage of the October 2020 bundle. Fantasy Blacksmith is the third game that we will be covering from the October 2020 edition. <laughs> this is getting rule of threes. Uh, so Fantasy Blacksmith, that's the, yeah. Uh, Sunlit, the Sunless series. Then we have Light Matter. And finally, Shadows Awakening. Ooh. You know, I just realized that a couple of our games have to do with shadows or darkness. or, or That's like a big theme. It's not like a horror-based month, really. But a lot of the games this month have to do with shadows in the darkness. We've kind of dropped out of the talking about the theme of the overall bundle. We have a little bit, but it just hit me when I was just because like light matter is all about like like the the the, the shadows in the floor is lava and shadows awakening and sunless skies is all set in like this area without like the sun and like yeah and goat of duty was just all shadows like living in the shadow of a triple A war game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there it is. Shadows, baby. Shadows, October 2020 theme. Let's jump into our uh, first game here as I apply to 
uh, this game, The Theme of Shadows, Uncertain The Last Quiet Day, developed and published by New Game Order in 2016. They actually just released a sequel to this game, literally on October oh, 8th. Yeah, uh, called The Uncertain Light at the End. Uh, this is a heavily Telltale-inspired futuristic adventure game about robots living in a post-human society. It plays basically identically to a Telltale game that, if you've played any of those in the recent catalog that they've come out with before they went defunct, uh, then, you know, what to expect here. You know, it's like The Walking Dead, it's like Among Us. Editor Johnny here. This game is not like Among Us. This game is like A Wolf Among Us which David does identify correctly later on, but I thought this opportunity was too good to pass up. It's like The Walking Dead, it's like Among Us. You walk around environments, pick up items, use them on a little radial bar to on other things to make progress, and uh, you were rewarded with cutscenes for your due diligence. <laughs> what a way to describe it. It's so good. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, what, that's what you do. That's the game. Uh... There's a mix of puzzles thrown in there as opposed to these really heavy moral choices that you would normally make in these games. Uh, I didn't really feel like there were a lot of really heavy moral choices. At least I didn't really notice them in the gameplay. The only real choices that you have come in the form of just like alternative dialogue options. Uh, and I don't know how much they would have really changed the game if I had chosen other things. Like I know that there's an achievement for just being silent throughout the whole thing. And that's just an option that you can do. <laughs> But yeah, uh, the premise, I think, is the really big hook of this game, where uh, all humans in this world are gone, and robots rule the world. So in this world where robots rule, suddenly robots are starting to act like a little bit more like humans, and it's kind of trying to explore that aspect uh, of uh, a potential like robot takeover. Uh, and I really like the idea that robots put into human situations causes them to act up. Like like a robot who uh, is has an unrealistic time crunch for work and they literally can't physically fulfill it, and and how they respond to their superior in that moment, I feel like that was really interesting and like that those moments of gameplay were the ones that I felt the most engaged by it. Even though the protagonist is kind of milk toast, I mean he's literally a robot and he talks like this to everything. He is completely nonplussed by most things. Humans, we replace them. It took them ages to achieve what we have done in just a few years. <laughs> and so um, getting to really be attached to this character was kind of a struggle. Uh, he does have a little cute little sticker on his chassis, which I thought was adorable and little, a little hint about his possible humanity. Uh, but yeah, so if you like the hook of the game, uh, then you'll, you'll probably want to check this one out. I'm going to have to get into spoilers like immediately on this one. To avoid spoilers, skip ahead to 9 minutes and 52 seconds. It Humans humans are not all gone. You find that out very quickly. Uh, turns out that humans are actually being hunted by robots, and they aren't all extinct yet. Uh, and the only reason why you are able to sort of keep your memory is because you're abducted by this group of uh, resistance robots that have chosen to turn off their self-update feature, which your character has also chosen to do prior to the game's start, simply to better themselves, quote-unquote, so that they don't have to rely on updates to sort of better themselves. They better themselves through growing and learning, uh, which I think that's just an interesting concept. But it also means that 
uh, there's this sort of sect of robots that because they turned off their auto update system did not get the update that was like, uh, hey, this is the kill everyone update. Uh, <laughs> this is the this is the we we decided that humans are bad update. Uh, and so they're able to sort of maintain their their prior to human extinction robot selves and. They, they sort of become more like humans, which is cool. Um, and the new mystery hook sort of becomes, okay, well, uh, this this spaceship crashes down right near where you, you're living, and you find a bunch of dead humans in the ship. And you're like, oh, shit, so where did these humans come from? Uh, uh, why is every robot taught to believe that humans don't exist? Why are robots terminated on site when they find out about humans? And, and like, what, what are like the bigger sort of robot government hiding from, from everyone else? Uh... So you, after you're abducted, you explore some ro uh, like apartment complex for clues and some other places to eventually you end up uh, prepping this lab for human arrival. Uh, and then the game ends with the first human you've ever seen in the entire game that's alive running towards you. And then she falls on the floor and then looks up at you and then into your eyes. And then the game says to be continued. Oh, shit. Yeah. And then four years went by and then they dropped the next game. <laughs> Uh, I think the reason why it's in this bundle is the first place is because uh, a lot of people probably just forgot about the ending. Uh, I mean, it, it's super forgettable, and it happens in, like, two seconds, and it's, like, the most climactic moment in the game, and then it's just, like, to be continued. It's like, what? I, what? What? I, what? I wanted... So I think the, the the theme of the bundle is ending on the climax, right? Yeah, ending on the fucking climax. Like, why? I, I understand, like, maybe it's a budgetary... I mean, it has to have been a budgetary thing. It took them four years to release the second part, right? And, I mean, the game is, like, very pretty, right? But it doesn't play well. So, I feel like if they spent more time <laughs> just making the game, uh, like, play, rather than trying to make it look super pretty, maybe they could have actually gotten the whole thing out. In, in, in the... Well, and this raises a very interesting thing about the industry and how you can have, like, certain games succeed very well right now on the concept of early access because they can like fine-tune gameplay and slowly introduce story elements like Hades like that game would not have been possible without early access but then you have like a game like this where obviously they were limited by budgetary and time reasons so early access would have helped them a lot but because it's story driven you can't really make it early access you can't do an early access story game you can't do a to be continued on an early access game you know, like that's not that's not cool. <laughs> so I, I don't know. They they were clearly trying to do like an episodic thing, sort of like Telltale. But the problem uh, with episodic games, as you've seen with Telltale and their closure, is that it's really hard to keep up with. It's really hard to like keep that pace going and to keep the new entries coming out. And the fact that it took them four years in between the release of this game and its cliffhanger ending and the uh, actual game, which, by the way, I, I looked at it a little bit. I didn't play it, but you apparently play as the human in that one, the the girl who you rescue. So, I mean, to me, that was sort of like taking away the most interesting part of the game and then making it about like basically just like any other Telltale game, uh, where like you don't play as the robot anymore, and now you're playing as the one human girl in a world full of robots. Uh, and I don't know how interesting that would be personally, uh, even though like it was kind of boring to listen to the robot after a certain point. I still would have wanted to continue his story and to see how things could have shaped out for him uh, and to see that it's sort of turning out. And, like, the th things that he had to deal with, like the fact that he has to do his work assignment within two days or he's getting terminated, none of that comes back in the, in the story whatsoever. It just dropped as soon as he gets roped into this sort of resistance movement. So I I don't know. 
it, it feels like the, the a lot of the main character struggles aren't really struggles and they're literally roped onto things like because they don't have any agency as a character and because of that i have felt no real agency as a player in the world uh and i didn't feel super attached to anything that was happening i thought that the most interesting thing was the philosophical a- ideas that were presented did it present the philosophical ideas in like an engaging and interesting way especially given that like we live in a world with a very prominent technological and ai influence yeah but there are also so many other pieces of media that have also tackled basically the exact same idea like uh, people in my stream are talking about like this looks like iRobot. Detroit become human. Yeah, Detroit literally Detroit become human. That like I don't like David Cage games, but at least that game has more of a sense of consequence and a sense of like rationality between the actions that you take and like uh, a sense of diverging paths. Like in this game, you just kind of solve puzzles and you do your robot thing, and I'm pretty sure that's just it. And there's a lot of like little things, like little cheeky nods along the way that are cute. Like, there's uh, portal references uh, in this game, too, that you're going to get another game that's full of them. But this game had a, a really tasteful one, I thought, where just in a laboratory you could find the Aperture Science gun, and it's just sitting on a desk. So it's it, as if, like, Shell just wandered in and dropped it on the desk and left. Uh, and I thought that was really cute. Um, it's not really super invasive. And there are other uh, references as well. Like, I found a reference to The Walking Dead. I, I would say that I don't really recommend this game, uh, personally. I, I think that there are a lot better story games out there. Uh, like, for example, The Walking Dead. The first season is really damn good. Uh, I'm not huge about the rest of it, but the first season is great. And The Wolf Among Us is really good. And, Wolf Among Us is fantastic. You know, there's there's a lot of narrative adventure games out there that are, that have been starting to pick up the steam after Telltale. Like, the, the, the Life is Strange and stuff like that. So just play those. They're better. Um, yeah. So, sorry, sorry, game developers. Not everything can be gold uh well not everything can be gold like this next game fate tactics uh this is a game by endless fluff games uh they also made legend of the fae which is like a match three puzzle game and valdis story abyssal city which is a metroidvania style game it's that looked really interesting so, Fate Tactics is a turn-based strategy game, and it had a surprising amount of depth and strategy for how simple it was. Uh, it reminds me a lot of, like, uh, the, the idea of, like, the board game Smash Up and how it takes, like, a very complex card game and waters it down to, like, its core mechanics but focuses on the core mechanics really well that it plays unique and super interesting. Uh, so, it's got, like, every character has a, like, a certain amount of spaces they can move. They have an attack, either ranged or melee, and they have a supporting move. So if you click on, rather than, the, the same way you'd attack an enemy, you can attack your teammates to give them some sort of buff or support. Hmm, uh, okay. It's super interesting. Yeah, so technically, like, every character has, like, three attack, three moves they can do on their turn, basically, in, in a sense. Uh, and it, it allowed a lot of, like, very interesting play in, like, positioning and whether or not you use your characters to buff or to attack. Uh, and... There were only, like, three decisions you made in any given turn-based scenario with each character. But they were all very meaningful and very impactful decisions the entire time. And then they had a, uh, like, a very simple items and accessories system. So every character could equip, like, one item or accessory that you could find throughout the world that did different things, like increase HP or... Uh, increase the amount of, like, certain elemental damage you do, or increase your MP points, or whatever. Uh, super simple. And then there were, like, objects you could find on the map. So if you, like, walked onto 
a berry, you'd gain health. If you walked onto another thing, you might gain MP, you might gain health and MP. It was super simple, super straightforward. Like, a, a kid could pick up this game and learn how to play it, but it had a lot of depth as a result on focusing on those core mechanics very well. And it had a uh, a leveling system, too, where, like, skill-based leveling, so you could put your points into HP or attack damage or or different points like that, too, as well. I played a little bit of the demo of this one when we, it was a extra a couple months ago, and one of the things that I appreciated uh, about this game in comparison to another game that was very similar to that I played called Arbiter's Mark was that it felt very fast. It felt like you can actually just kind of get into a combat and just kind of do a bunch of stuff really quickly, at least in comparison. A hundred percent. No, it, it really was. It was a very fast method, too, like... Because all the all the characters basically are confined to those three abilities too, and so like it it's constantly moving. It's like playing a game of chess more than it is like playing a a very strategic turn based game like XCOM or something where you're sitting there thinking about a move for twenty minutes. This one it's very much just like click and click and go and fucking just just keep moving, just keep attacking, just keep buffing. Uh, so it, it and that makes it sound very simple. And it was, but that simplicity gave it a lot more depth than if they had overcomplicated it. Honestly, hmm. We, like, if you're, to, have you ever played like Into the Breach? Yes. Could you compare it to that? Uh, it's like Into the Breach if you didn't have to do math every turn. Okay. Yeah, it's a, it's a <laughs> lot more just like aggression. It's very aggressive. It's very just like you know snappy and. In in the sense that like if you've ever played the uh uh Mario versus Rabbids game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all about like movement and stuff and moving forward. Exactly. And, yeah. It's more about like movement and keeping good positioning while also using a few abilities to buff and attack. Okay, cool, cool. Gotcha. Uh and from from what I got into the story, uh I'm not gonna get too much into it because it was a it was a very simple story, honestly. Uh, the story felt, the plot felt more in service to the characters than it did in, like, an overarching plot itself. Like, every character you met had their own sort of, like, plot and objective and thing they were doing that your character just kind of hopped in and helped them with, and then you'd, like, earn a new member of your party or whatnot. That was something that I criticized about it, about the demo, I remember, is that I felt like the story was just so milquetoast. It was just so in service of the gameplay rather than its own thing. Well, and that's kind of what I found a little interesting is that like a lot of a lot of games focus on having like a very strong narrative rather than just very strong characters doing their thing in the world. And that's what this game felt like. All of the characters felt very strong because they all played uniquely in combat. And so the the gameplay of the characters translated to the uniqueness of them as well in the greater world, I thought. And so while the plot itself was very milk toast, the characters all kind of shined through it. And so I got invested in, like, the characters and solving their problems and wanting to to see what the these characters felt and thought in this world. Okay, well then, I kind of like that then, because I, I definitely felt like the characters in Arbiter's Mark were just kind of being swept up into a story that, like, I, def I only sometimes felt an attachment to. And do you feel like there was more of an attachment in, in this game to sort of what, what you're, you're doing because you enjoy the characters and you want to see their stories kind of fleshed out? Absolutely. I, I felt that way entirely playing this game. Like, I really wanted to, uh, like, like everything gave you a little brief understanding of the characters and then translating that into the gameplay of the characters and how it felt unique. It, it really made them feel alive, and I wanted to learn more about, like, their struggles in the world, less and less so about the actual world itself. How, how long do you think you would, like, play the whole thing? I don't think I'll play the whole thing. 
Um, I, I really enjoyed it, but I, I have a problem with turn-based games to begin with. Uh, even though this gameplay was very strong and fun and interesting, I think if you love turn-based games, you'll you'll find something that you love about this. I just, I was having a hard time sitting there focusing on battles and stuff. I, I wanted, um, I enjoy needless complexity in my games <laughs> just because just it forces me to sit there and think. Uh, <laughs> As a person who plays Magic the Gathering, you can expect that. Right, right yeah, there. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I did find myself like I didn't have a reason to really focus on the game as I was playing it, and so I probably won't go back and play the game as a result. Which is funny because you're gonna basically hear me say the exact th- opposite about another game later on. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. <laughs> cool. There's there's a balance on how much I have to focus on a game to the amount that I enjoy it. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, if a game doesn't demand enough of your attention and it's not giving you this sort of uh, craving that you want when you're you're wanting that kind of interactive experience and that kind of challenge, and you can feel like you're just falling asleep doing a bunch of tasks. And so, like, while I did really enjoy what I played of this game, I personally will probably never follow, finish it, but I think there are a lot of people out there, and I would not not recommend the game because I didn't personally... because I wasn't personally able to focus on it, you know? I think this game stands very well in its own merit and in the genre, uh, and I think if you if you just kind of enjoy the experience and you like sort of, uh, e- I don't I don't want to use the term easier games because it it's not like it was easy it wasn't easy it was it was simple but still fun and challenging so if you love that sort of like that sort of Among Us experience where they take a genre and simplify it into a very polished few core mechanics if you love that experience then I think this is the sort of game to play. Hell yeah! Uh, so would you 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 would put this as a a recommended on our Steam group page? <laughs> yeah, I would absolutely recommend it. I think I think it's a great a great fantasy game. There was something I wanted to get into a little bit. <laughs> Damn it! I was, that was such a perfect segue into fantasy blacksmith, and you ruined it. I know, it. You I know, it. and then I you just remembered it. it. I said fantasy because uh... <laughs> I hate you. I hate you. Everything you stand for. I. I wanted to point out that, that that there were some really good themes that the game was hit, hinting on too, uh, and this idea that like you are you are a like lone character in this world that uses magic. You're a human that can possess the power to use magic, and so you're sort of in this weird position where you're sort of ostracized and discriminated towards by both the Fae and the humans because people see you as this sort of like freak of nature almost. And so there's this, there's some really good, interesting conversations that happen in the game as a result of that, that really make the fantasy element element pop. It really, it really smiths this element together. You know, I'm you, you had a, you had your chance there, Johnny, you had it and, and it's gone, but thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So the next game here is Fantasy Blacksmith. Uh, it is, and by the way, I do appreciate that that little bit of extra detail. I, I would have done the same if it was me. Uh, this game here is a game developed by Heaven Brotherhood, who have also made games like uh, Keyboard Killers and Winexi, and they are currently about to release uh, another game called Dune Mechanic where it's like steampunk and you're trapped in a desert and you have to do a bunch of puzzles and like become a steam conductor mechanic person. 
Uh, it sounds awesome. So it's like Dune, but you're a mechanic. Yeah, well, what it basically sounds like is fantasy blacksmith, but steampunk. <laughs> so uh, allow me to explain what that means. So fantasy blacksmith is a really janky but well-featured fantasy simulator where you play as a blacksmith and there's shopkeeping elements where you have to make swords for people and sell them and get more money to buy more resources to make more swords. That's the game loop. Uh... It was a surprise hit for me, this bundle. I actually really liked it. The game You played a lot of this game. I did! I did, actually. I might play more of it when we're done. Uh, the game takes place in this one slowly evolving but mostly empty blacksmith forge. Uh, there's a mine underneath that you can slowly expand out, and, and but mostly, like, that's it. Your goal is super simple, and it's explained right at the very beginning. You're a blacksmith, and you want to become the best blacksmith in the land, the most renowned most celebrated blacksmith so uh there's like a reputation mechanic and everything that you do you're slowly increasing your reputation to eventually become the best uh the slow pace will turn people off it, it takes a, a while to sort of get into the meat of this game uh many tasks take a while to accomplish like hammering a sword to perfection mining even just running around the shop it all just takes time and, and customers come at random points of time to interrupt what you're doing and you have to stop what you're doing to go talk to them, and you have to attend to them, otherwise they'll leave and you miss your chance to make money. Uh, you can, like, do custom orders for some customers if you can't satisfy their order right away, and uh, some customers even stay to gamble or do other things if you have uh, a dice table unlocked and things like that. Uh, and by the way, all the customers are anime characters, and it clashes so much with the rest of the aesthetic. It's not even funny. They're just like, it's so it's so bad, the art in this game, man. But I don't even care, because it's, it's so much fun. <laughs> uh, supplies, you order through the book catalog, you have to wait for the materials to arrive, and accumulating wealth uh, takes time. Uh, the, the investments that you actually do make into your forge feel more valuable and more earned because of that, though. Like whenever I got when I got my first ore smelter, I was like, "Dude, my ore smelter's here! I can stop having to buy ores and now I can just make my own with my mine." Yes, and it was just like I don't know, just the simple pleasure of making something very simple turn into something very complicated and bigger, and 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 uh, that's what you kind of do with your your entire forge building. The blacksmithing is super simplified. Like sharpening a sword and assembling the hilts are both timing based mini games. Uh, applying Damascus to your sword is literally like uh, applying a bunch of things in like a drop-down minigame where it's like might as well be Tetris, you know, just like matching the colors and the shapes and things. Uh, so when you are forging and stuff, you actually get to customize each different blade. It's divided up into like five different parts. You can switch out and style them. You eventually get to like uh, unlock things like mechanical enchanting, or sorry, magical enchanting. Uh, which that's like this whole late end game stuff that'll make your swords even way more valuable and make them cool, give them cool auras and stuff. I, I mean, like, this game is just about making swords, you know, and managing your budget and you obtain new materials, keep growing your shop. It's so simple. Like, I, I had a friend that, that went in and was like, I wish that this was like a mechanic in a larger RPG. And to an extent, I can see that. Like, like it almost is so simple that I wish it was just a, a, a component of another game. But its simplicity also plays well to it in that it doesn't try to be anything bigger than it is. It just tries to be a blacksmithing game, and it does that. And it's pretty fun. You get to make swords and sell them to people. It's janky, 
Like, if you play this game, you're going to have to get ready to Google shit like how to put coal into your ore smelter in Fantasy Blacksmith and then find the one video after, out of, like, a bunch of different videos and you just scroll through and you see the one person putting the coal and you're like, okay, that's how I do that then. <laughs> you just have to learn all the little weird intricacies of this game. Uh, but if you do that and you put some time into it, uh, you do take the plunge. You will probably find some enjoyment out of this game, especially if you are like me and you enjoy blacksmithing, like, real-world blacksmithing. Uh, I went over to a place locally called Rockledge Ranch, and they have a forge there that I used to just hang out and watch all the time because I thought it was just the coolest thing in the world. And uh, a guy uh, helped me make this, like, little hook that I still have to this day, and it just makes me happy. It's a little, like, metal hook. And, uh, I yeah, I would love to do a... I would love to have, like, a real forge one day. And learning all the stuff about, like... The, the science of forging. Like, okay, uh, iron has this melting point, and copper has this melting point, and you have to manage the temperature of your forge and make sure that, that shit doesn't get too hot or, or it'll uh, overheat and then it'll mess up the, the chemical composition of the metal. And, you know, ha learning how tempering works and how you temper a sword, you know, putting it in, in the oil and then in the water. It's like this whole process that's so much fun to learn about that, like, I, I couldn't drop the game because I was just having fun learning about smelting and stuff. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I will say that I never did see the sun while playing this game. You are stuck in that forge for the entire game. N just a completely sunless game. Oh, sunlessness. Sunlessness, sunlessness, sunlessness. Sunless series is our next game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, just saying sunless over and over again. <laughs> sunless. Sunless, sunless, this sunless. Is... Sunless, sunless, this sunless, is... sunless. Sunless. This is a very... <laughs> sunless, sunless, sunless. <laughs> okay, go ahead. go ahead. All right, the Sunless series. Uh, it's sunless, a game from sunless. Fail Better's... <laughs> from Fail Better Games, uh, that which is a very apt name given the game. This is this bundle consists of both Sunless Sea and Sunless Skies, so you get two for the price of one. There's technically 13 games in this bundle. That's true, and these are good value games. Oh, yeah, they are, absolutely. Uh, these games are, I can only describe them as text-based survival exploration games. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because it is, like, it, it's entirely, the entire lore and story is driven just by text dialogue, and that's it. There's no voice acting, there's no cutscenes, nothing. It is all just just dialogue galore. Well, do you know about the world that this is built off of? Uh, what's the world that this is built off of? I told you it briefly on stream or something. I don't know if you recall, but uh, this is actually based off of one of the longest-running uh, web-based RP servers ever. And the reason why it's so text-based is because it's based in this largely text-based web universe. Hell yeah. Uh, and... And that's, yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's, it's like, it feels like you're playing a text-based role-playing game that someone cut together a bunch of graphics for, honestly, so that you could feel more immersed in the world. And it does, it does a fan-fucking-tastic job of that. Like, the atmosphere in these games are incredible. And, like, the mistakes and the decisions that you have to make are really crucial to your survival. Everything from managing, like, your fuel to your food to your, your sanity mechanic that they have... 
you have to manage these three different levels of things in order to survive in this world. Otherwise you'll start to go crazy or you'll have to like eat your crewmates or like all kinds of weird little shit happens in this game. It's so much fun. It's, but, but with that comes a very confusing game. Like they don't explain anything to you when you start off in some. Uh, yeah. Scenes. I think that's intentional. I, I think that they want you to die a million times over in horrific ways so that you have to learn through just trial and error. From failing better. Exactly. <laughs> and, and that's exactly what it is. Like, the, the intent is that, like, you... It's basically a roguelite, but they don't tell you that. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it, it's a text-based roguelite. It's a text-based roguelite, which means you're going to be going through a lot of dialogue, a lot of prompts, a lot of, like... Everything pops up and it doesn't explain to you like what you need to complete missions. It's just got like little pictures of things that you don't even know what they are at the start of the game. So you're confused just to like what the rewards for things are, what you actually have to lose to complete the missions. It, it all, every, nothing about this game is explained from the start and it's incredibly confusing and it, it makes it very difficult and overwhelming to start this game. Uh, but as you learn the game though, all of the decisions start to become more apparent and you start to learn the consequences, what's actually required to complete things, and, and it becomes more clear. Like, the, the only way to learn this game is by playing it. And it sucks because you're going to play it for, like, six hours before you feel like you're learning anything about the game. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I am somebody who has put, like, around 30 hours into this game, I think. Uh, at least the first one, Sunless Seas. And I definitely enjoyed that game because it really nails these sort of nautical rp where you are at sea and you aren't sure when you're ever going to be back to port and you have to just survive going from port to port making deals and trades and it, you know maybe you have to eat your crew maybe that's just what you have to do to survive uh that's just part of the experience <laughs> yeah it is it is a phenomenal like rpg and like the rp part of it is incredible there's there's so much depth and complexity in this game and you're constantly wondering and guessing things and trying to figure it out as you go. And it like, it is a beautifully atmospheric game and that goes for both of them. But that being said, I think sunless skies is, is like the, the primo of these two games because sunless skies fixes almost all of the issues that I had with sunless seas when I switched over, because one of my biggest complaints about sunless seas is that, the the text boxes that everything is in are outrageously small. They take up maybe like a tenth of your total screen, and you're you're expected to dig through all the dialogue through these tiny little text boxes, and and it's awful. It's not user friendly at all. Like you're leaning into the screen to read anything, and then like anything you have to highlight over to see an even smaller text box of what the actual requirements for are of them are. It's it's outrageously like com like. It's needlessly poor de poorly designed, honestly. <laughs> like, I have my youthful eyes, so I never complained about that in my playthrough or really even thought about it. But certainly people with eyesight troubles will have issues. But then you get into Skies, and that shit is just totally resolved. Like, the, the pop-ups take up the whole screen, and the text is legible and readable, and, and it, it's phenomenal. It fixes any sort of accessibility issue with dialogue. And they actually have a tutorial for you to go through to learn the movement. 
Uh, they have like the the little parts of decision making are explained at the start, and like the chance the success rates are shown a little more clearly. Like all the little details that sees like as you're playing it, and you're like, well, this is kind of frustrating. This little thing's frustrating. All of those are resolved in Skies. You can tell that developers listened to feedback and really took the time in like tweaking the the differences between these two games. Yeah, they care about these games. Like. And the universe, I just want to mention, I did look it up so that we would be able to properly credit it. Uh, the game, if you want to play it, it's free to play online. Fallen London is is Fallen the, London. The, the, the... You can just Google it, and there's a website, and you can just play it online. Text-based, uh, browser-based RPG, and this is one of the longest going ever. Is this, like, 2010? So... And they do they ongoing. do mention that in the first little cutscene. They do say London has fallen. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Connected universe. <laughs> <laughs> or something. Which I didn't know that. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, so the, the idea is that London has fallen into the earth, and then because of that, there is no sky. That's so cool. Uh, but yeah, and so like, and Skies, I think Skies is, Skies sacrifices a little bit of that, like, atmosphere in exchange for accessibility in this game. And I think it's a phenomenal trade-off, because the amount of atmosphere and depth that was in Seas to begin with... It it just feels like Skies is a very polished commercial version of what was like a beta test, basically. I was just gonna say that it swaps out the uh, the the nautical theme for more of a steampunk theme, which I I think that some people will jive with more. Yeah, the the nautical it is very sort of like, you, you, it, it's a spooky, almost Lovecraftian nautical theme in the first one, and then you get into Skies, and it keeps that sort of uh, Lovecraftian element, but in like a steampunk airship. Airship, yeah, yeah, it's it's all like blimps and like air travel and stuff, and so it, it captures that same sort of like essence of like spookiness and like monsters and unknown as the Lovecraft vibes, but you're in a much brighter, much uh, much more airy universe in skies. The the story and lore in these games are just phenomenal, but you, you and you'll lose track of it if you if you stop like if you click through one dialogue box because you're just like I'm done reading and I want to go off port like you're gonna lose track of what's going on very very quickly. You have to read every dialogue box basically. <laughs> They're all important and they all give you information, which is why I've never attempted to play it on stream yet. Uh... <laughs> which is which is great though, like and that that's the kind of nice part is that you're going to die a lot in these games and have to restart. Which means you're going to see the same prompts several times, and and you're going to get little bits of dialogue from other areas, and so you'll start to kind of fill in things if you do skip around a little bit, which is nice. I feel like the writings of the failures are some of the most interesting and engaging pieces of writing in the game. Also, like, just the, the when you fail in certain ways, or, or do something that, like, the game didn't want you to do, or you failed at a certain thing in a role, like, you just... I, I love those moments in the game the most when things just go buck wild and you have to deal with it. And and the writing is just so eloquent and so, like, I mean, it is Lovecraftian. It is super Lovecraftian. Uh, you know, you'll just see, like, eyes beneath you in the ocean and sunless seas occasionally. Just, like, popping open and then closing as if something was massive underneath the water and you just barely caught a glimpse of it. It's so good. The atmosphere on this game is just, like... It is top-notch. I have not seen a game developed with this much, like, thought and attention to detail in a very long time. But but they do, they put all the work on you as the player to, like, understand and figure it out. <laughs> it, it, I think that makes you remember it more. I mean, I think so, or it causes you to just, like, lose focus on the game and get bored pretty quickly. That's also a possibility. Play at your own risk. 
<laughs> play it your no it's it's a phenomenal game i just i don't have the attention span for this game i uh i i i played it for like i could only sit down and play this for like 20 minute settings before i was just like tapped out with how like which is funny because i i can play this game for like hours at a time i like 10 hours like easily like just reading like i don't know yeah, and that, I don't know, maybe it's just because, like, I've never developed a love for reading because I, I have aphantasia, but, like, oh. I I just, yeah, <laughs> I just, I couldn't sit there and focus on it for a long time. It, it just, it started to, to drudge in, and so I had to, like, take very frequent ba- breaks, but it was still phenomenal, and I, I wish I could get more into it. I probably won't, but I, I absolutely loved it. Maybe I'll stream it for you and do all the voices. That'd be so good. I would tune into that fucking immediately. That's what I need. <laughs> yeah, like just somebody to do it for you and then have somebody else play it for you. <laughs> or someone to do it with. Like, yeah, yeah, I would way rather sit in a room with someone and play this game. That way I can, like, engage with someone else and the game at the same time to kind of allow me to focus on two things at once. Yeah, I'd be into that. Maybe we'll do that sometime soon. I'd love Hell yeah, game. that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, so this game is very worth it. Uh, if you like rich, atmospheric games and worlds, like, absolutely play this game. I would suggest starting with Sunless Skies before redeeming Sunless Seas. Because if you don't like Sunless Skies, you won't like Sunless Seas, I guarantee it. But if you really like Sunless Skies, then I think the trade-off of the quality of life things that they've done, uh, downgrading to play Seas after you've played Skies, won't be overwhelming. Uh, but it will be if you love skies enough then then it's definitely worth taking the downgrades to play seas later if if you can handle the quality of life changes but you're not missing anything if you get this just for skies because skies is honestly the better of the two <laughs> in for in terms of accessibility and and playing is there any dlc for skies i know that there's submariner for seas no okay. skies just recently came out i thought i mean the submariner dlc was actually really damn good uh, I didn't play it, but from what I heard, they added an entire new area where you could basically explore using a submarine. Wow, that's awesome. Did So how how did light influence the game? Was there like a big focus on like light? Did that really matter? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, you go insane in the darkness, and also uh, you if you step in the, in the, in the darkness, then you will uh, be sucked into sort of an eternal void. Uh, where you are forced to sort of contemplate all of your actions and uh, oh wait that's our next game light matter uh <laughs> hey uh so there's a segue light matter is our next game developed by tunnel vision games published by asper uh they've done a lot of publishing uh i'm not gonna say all their games just they've done a lot i was surprised uh free demo on steam so if you want to try this game out after hearing about the puzzles and stuff, then you can absolutely go and try it out completely for free. So uh, that's pretty frickin' sweet. Uh, this game is a very, very heavily Portal-inspired, shadow-based, the-floor-is-lava puzzle game. So uh, there are just so many references to Portal in this game, it's it's just not even funny. There There are too many. It, it 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 caused me to have just relentless comparisons to Portal through my throughout my entire gameplay experience. Like the entire game just felt like a, a, a continuous bad homage to Portal in terms of the story, anyway. Like, uh, so there's these dev commentary bubbles that like after you can after you beat the game, then you can uh 
play them while you're walking through the game and you learn about the game as you're kind of walking through the levels. It's the same thing that Valve does for all of their games, and they're very clearly trying to emulate Valve in a lot of ways, <laughs> but I don't think that they understand what Valve did that was good. Because, uh, I'll, I'll just get into it here. Uh, they're, they're like, just for even example, starting with the, the, the dev commentary stuff. I love dev commentary. It's one of my favorite features in the game that you can add. I love Valve games do that. Uh, but the dev commentary is so long. It's like 10 minutes for like four minute segments of gameplay. And it's like, I'm not going to sit here and listen to you guys just fucking talk about why you chose to do this or that for that long. Make it shorter. Like it's a podcast segment. You know what I mean? Like consider how long the player is going to be in these segments and then time out those segments to be about that long. You don't need to make these so, so long. Anyway. <laughs> and, and, uh. There's just a bunch of stuff like like they they emulate Ratman in a lot of parts of this game where they have like sleeping bags and stuff like that or, or posters or things, but they're non-specific. They don't they don't have text on it. It's blank text, and you encounter it on the critical path. You don't have to go out of your way to search for it like you do with the Ratman stuff, where you actually feel like you're stumbling upon something secret and it's actually more impactful for that reason. It's just like there, and it's just like this is our Ratman. This is our version of Ratman. You know, like that's what this game felt like all the time. Like, you leave the testing area and you start exploring scenes right away, uh, like, behind-the-scenes stuff. And that felt broken because in Portal, you only start exploring behind-the-scenes stuff when you start breaking out of the test simulation. When you start breaking out of the sort of system. And you start in the game not even knowing who you are. You just wake up in the facility and you're just moving around, doing stuff. And it's not explained who you are. And the CEO guy just sees you and he's like, oh, hey, uh, uh, you're not supposed to be there. Let me, uh, let me guide you out of here personally. And it's like... Why the fuck is this literally Elon, Elon Musk-inspired billionaire tyrant motherfucker leading this, like, person who he doesn't even know who he is through his fucking massive facility? He's not, like, like, is he in, like, a security room? Where is he? Where is he? <laughs> and, like, the, the, you find a cat in the game, and then at some point the cat just teleports to him, and then he's purring in his lap, and it's like, how did that happen? He was, the cat was just with me! How did I, how did the cat get to there? Did he avoid all the all the dark matter and light and the lava and before and things? I don't understand. There's so many plot holes in this game, and like and the guy who like this Elon Musk motherfucker, he just constantly insults you, constantly, and he doesn't. He's like you're you're a reporter. Oh, you're a spy. Oh, you're this. Oh, you're that. He doesn't know who you are, and he constantly just claims that you're this or you're that. And I just, it's so bad. I I'm sorry, but like. I, I know that there's, like, people that, that apparently do like this game. It does have a very positive rating on Steam, but I can't imagine that it's for the story. Like, there's so much about this game that is just portal but not as good. And I... I, I like, they even have, like, cake references that are dated as fuck. Like, I those were done and dated in, like, 2010. You know what I mean? Like, those are done. We, we, we were done with cake jokes. The cake is already a lie, and we know it was a lie, except it was real, except it's not. That's the joke. That's the joke. We get it. We got it. <sighs> anyway. And, and, like, at the end of the game, this is a bit of a spoiler, I guess. So, spoiler, bleh, right here. To avoid spoilers, skip ahead to 48 minutes and 40 seconds. I, his, he, he make, the, the, the capitalist guy at the end of the game, he makes this argument for you as you're destroying his light matter, his precious light matter, that, that like, he, he's, he's the next big thing. He, he's going he's gonna to save humanity. Humanity's going gonna to fall flat. 
if, if, if he doesn't make his light matter and it doesn't succeed, but he's constantly talking about how he doesn't care about human life, how he doesn't have any sort of regard for any sort of moral compass, and he's just making this because he just wants it for his own fucking ego. And it's like so Elon Muskian that I can't fucking handle it. It's like, like, they, like, it feels like these developers fucking love Elon Musk and they think he's so hilarious that they wanted to make a game about him, but they, they just don't understand like all the problematic aspects of Elon Musk. Or maybe they did and they thought that like it would be fun to sort of have a, a philosophical debate about like, what if you're making the next big thing, but also it kills people? And it's like, <laughs> I just, I just. He's telling you, like, all of these reasons why you have to stop ruining his precious equipment while you're evading the light matter that has desperately been trying to kill you the entire game. And he's telling you how it's safe, how it's functional, how but it's not. What the fuck? I hate this guy so much. I hate this capitalist bastard. This capitalist guy can so fuck my fucking socialist nuts. I hate him. Ugh. Why are you stopping me? Can't you tell I'm smart and I'm doing something that your fucking peasant brain can't understand? You idiot. You peon. I hate him. I hate him so much. So what you're saying is they wrote a really bad, good bad guy? No, because I hated GLaDOS, but I loved her. I loved GLaDOS. I, I wanted, I, I almost felt bad killing her because she was so much fun to listen to. You know, like, her writing was good, and, and it wasn't deprecating in the sense that she was constantly calling you bad. It, it, like, I mean, she s did stuff like that occasionally, but it was more to sort of point at the sort of existential horror of you being a lab rat trapped in a, a system that you can't escape from. And then when you finally escape from that system and she gets angry with you, it means something. You know, like, I, it, there's none of that in this game. I mean, the, okay, let's get to the puzzles. There are puzzles in this game. Well, I want to I, I want to ask uh, uh, a quick question. Do you think the story Do you think the story suffered from the length of this game? Because I, I I know in retrospect, like compared to Portal, this was a relatively short game, right? I know. I mean, it was it was longer than Portal One, and it was shorter than Portal Two. It was trying to be Portal Two. Oh, really? It, it was around four and a half hours long, and Portal One is only around a two-hour game, which it doesn't outstay its welcome, and you can just beat it, and it's done. You know, it's the perfect video game. You can't make a better video game than Portal. Like, I've thought about it. You can't. It's not possible. <laughs> it's just, it's a perfect three-hour game. You just experience it in one evening, and it's done. You know, and it, it's so well-designed. It's so well-paced. And, and, like, they, they try to do that while also doing Portal 2 at the same time, and they don't understand what's good about those games. They just understand that they like those things, and they put those things in their game because they like them. I, I don't know. Uh, anyway, the puzzles. <laughs> they're all right i guess um they're easier uh i feel like the later on you go because you get more light things that you can use to illuminate things and because of that the game just becomes easier um i also just felt like the mechanic of the the dragging the light along a path was easier like you get these these things where like uh you get these nodes where the light sort of connects from one node to the other uh, and I felt like that was such a more easy mechanic to handle than, like, these fucking spotlights that you'd have to place in weird specific locations in the early part of the game in order to solve puzzles. I felt like that was way harder, like, unnecessarily for no reason. Uh, I don't know why I felt that way. Maybe I'm just dumb at puzzles. And, I mean, like, Portal has these, like, really fun momentum-based puzzles where you're actually moving and it's physics-based and you're jumping and you're you're making things happen, you know? Like, like, it's fun to watch, even. It's not fun to watch this game. Because you're just watching a guy move lights around. It's basically like watching the backstage of a production of a, like a high school show. 
and like some guy fucking moving around lights. Like, I was just like, go here. No, you guys, it goes here. No, 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 it goes here. And like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I, I, you, I, a lot of puzzles, like, I feel like you solve them in your head before you even do them too. And that's a big problem with a lot of puzzle games, but especially these kind of puzzle games where like, okay, well, the light has to go there. It has to go there. And then I have to do that. And it's not fun. I just, I'm, I know the solution in my head and I'm doing it and I'm enacting it and I'm, and I'm not having fun waiting for the solution to be enacted. You know, in, in Portal, you're jumping. You're, you're jumping into the portal and it's exciting. You know, like there, there's, like you're jumping off of a ledge to solve a puzzle. That's so cool. That's, no other game does that. But, but so I can think of so many other games that have done the, 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 the darkness is the bad thing. Like, like there's a game on like Nintendo Switch called Lit. Or not Nintendo Switch, Nintendo Wii called Lit on like the WiiWare, and like that it came out in like 2009 and did the exact same thing, you know. Like, I I feel like in terms of mechanics for a game, this is one of the lowest bars that you could come up with for a puzzle game. Is the the, the floor is lava, when when the shadow is not there, and it also means that you just die so much, uh, while you're moving lights around and shit, while you're not paying attention, and it's not fun to die constantly all the time for reasons that you feel like are bullshit. So. Um, this game just pissed me off, in conclusion. Uh, I, I, I think this is a solid no for me, unless the puzzles sound fun to you, I guess. Uh, then you can try out the demo and see if you actually like the puzzles. Uh, hard no for me. Just play Portal. It's a better game. Better writing. Shit better. Plus, you don't have to fucking rely on another extra source of information. Like, another game to, to understand the references of this game. Like... It's like like you have to play Portal to understand like half the references that that they make like because they talk about Cave Johnson and Aperture Science in the actual voice like they they talk about that Elon Musk talks about Cave Johnson and Aperture Science. It's so on the nose. It's not on the nose anymore. It's just a fucking clown nose. It's just and it and it's falling off their face. That's what this game is. Anyway. Uh, I, I, there are shadows in this next game too. Fuck it. <laughs> I feel that. I feel that. My Iron Danger thing way was the same way last last week. <laughs> uh, <laughs> shadows Awakening is our next game. A game from Games Farm. This is their only game. Uh, this is a top-down Diablo-style game in that it's like a loot-based dungeon crawler. And it is phenomenal like the gameplay in this is so unique that i i was just blown away and, and i'm sure there are other games that have done this but the way that the game and the devs handled this in this game were was super cool so you start the game uh as like an awoken demon basically and you select one of three characters and that character becomes your your vessel for the real world you basically resurrect them and take over their body essentially there are two different worlds. There's the sort of like Yu-Gi-Oh! Shadow Realm and then the real world. And you can juggle between the two at any time. You can swap between being the demon or being the vessel at any point in time. And so everything is basically doubled up. You The, the entire world can be explored two times, both in the Shadow Realm and in the regular realm. And there are there's different loot, different enemies, and different quests in both realms. So you're doing things for, like, as the demon guy, you're doing quests to help to help lost souls pass over, basically, so you can eat their souls, while in the real world, you're fixing real, tangible problems. And so it, it, it's this beautiful blend of, like, 
how the sort of two worlds interact. And it goes beyond that because there are there are specific puzzle elements that you can only solve by jumping between the two worlds. So there are like there are some things that can only be rotated while you're in the real world. So you have to allow it to rotate and then switch to the shadow realm to to stop it from rotating. Or you have to uh like there are bridges that can only be accessed in either the real world or the shadow realm. So you have to juggle between in order to explore different areas. And there are even bosses and different enemy fights that require you to jump between the two realms in order to fight them. Like, they might have a shield, and in the Shadow Realm you can damage the shield, and in the real realm you can damage their physical health. So you can't start hitting them in the real world until you've already broken the shield in the Shadow Realm. Gotcha. I, I like that, like, realm switching. It kind of reminds me... There's a couple of games that are like that, actually, uh, where you can sort of switch between two primary worlds, uh, two parallel dimensions to sort of solve puzzles. I like that. Yeah, and, it, and like, they, they handled it really elegantly. Like, the lore and justification of the two worlds makes total sense. So, and, and that's what I really love. Like you said, th there are other games that have done this. And yeah, but, but what I really loved about this game is that, like, it added a very strategic element because you could do things like dodge an attack at the moment it was hitting you by switching realms. Ooh. And so... Right? Because when you were in the Shadow Realm, everything in the physical world froze. When you were in the physical realm, everything in the Shadow World just didn't exist. Oh, interesting. So I kind of like that, where you're constantly having to juggle these two sort of parallel dimensions and, and the, the threats in either of them. Exactly. So you could theoretically go without, like, taking any damage in this game by just timing your switches perfectly. And so it was so much fun. It added this layer of, like... It, it almost added this layer of like active, like an active dodge system, basically, to a mechanic that didn't have an active dodge system because that was your dodge system was like switching between the realms, and you could interact with certain things. Like your character has like a freeze attack that just like m makes everything stop in motion, uh, and so if you were in the shadow realm and hit things in the physical realm with that, when you switched back, they'd still be frozen for a brief second. And so you could hop between the two and like, oh, well, I'll poison them in this realm, hop over here, freeze them, come back, and then they'll be frozen taking the poison damage. It was super cool. There was a lot of really intricate, like, movement stuff you could do by juggling between the two realms that I just really, really enjoyed. I like that. Uh, it sounds like really fast-paced and very fun and action-oriented. A hundred percent. Like, it is... I... I... I played a lot of Diablo, like Diablo 3 especially, and it, it just had me wanting a lot of elements from this game in other sort of dungeon-crawling loot games. Like, the, the way they handled the character level up and the armors and skills were super unique. Like, it, it was a, a sort of stat-based leveling system, and so you didn't have to... You could take your character that was originally designed as an archer and then dump a whole bunch of points and strength on them. So, so you weren't confined to necessarily the play styles of each character as well. You could, like, juggle it up and make it kind of feel unique and fun in a certain way. Like, it, it was really interesting. It, it felt more of an open-ended RPG in the sense of, like, the character progression. I feel like that's one of the better compliments you can give to a game is, like, man, I wish this was in other games. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I love saying that because it just it means that the designers did a really good job. They thought of something really interesting and, and smart and fun. They really did. Like the the story, the story, however, was unbelievably generic. It was it was like your classic, <laughs> classic like fantasy. 
Yeah. <laughs> it was it was very classic fantasy trope. Like like you've been resurrected from the dead to help me solve my problem and then you go around the world and it's like, "Oh, I've stolen from these guys. Please get my money back or whatever." Very very <laughs> generic. There were some really cheeky like fun one-offs. Uh like the whole thing was the the, the first city you get to there's this whole thing about like basically the the tra guild trades trade guilds and stuff existing and like your character comes back into a world where all of a sudden trade guilds exist and they're like wait what when did the city allow this to happen it was a fun little like nod um so there's a few little like really interesting fun kind of one-off moments but the story itself was very generic like but but that's the thing is like Diablo's story is hella generic too it, th this story is no better or worse than a game like Diablo's story Oh, yeah, I mean, Diablo barely has a story. People like to pretend that there's one, but there's none. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You, you run around, you hit things, and that's the game. <laughs> and that's that's what this game does, and it does it very well. And so I, I honestly just, I enjoyed this game a lot. I think it's 100% getting, worth getting for the very, like, unique gameplay and, and seeing how they pull it off and, and feeling that sort of, like, I, I, I don't know. It, it's just, like, it's... It's a great it's a great game to scratch the dungeon crawling itch and it like is it multiplayer? No. No. But it can't it can't be multiplayer and that's the thing and that's like the whole time I was like man I wish this game was multiplayer but it couldn't be multiplayer because of the switching mechanic because you have to be able to juggle between the worlds. And so to make it multiplayer all of a sudden you'd have to have two people that could also like I, I don't know how they justify it in the lore. Like, in, in Diablo, it's... Maybe client-side, or... I don't well, know. That's, the, that's the thing, is it, like, it would have to just be, oh, there's two of these demons that exist, and two of, like, it'd just be two copies of everything. Like, that'd be the only way to justify it story-wise, is just a sort of deus ex, you're just playing with someone else who's the exact same as you, and it just wouldn't work out. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really work out that way, huh? No. But it was it was still very fun. Like, I it, it'll scratch that dungeon-crawling itch, like... It's unique, it's super engaging, and, like, until another big game like Diablo comes along, like, this game is, is beautifully self-sufficient, and I think anyone who loves that experience will enjoy the single-player experience of this game. Uh, I didn't get to the in-game, so I don't know what kind of in-game they have, if any, probably not. I think it's just confined to the story, but... Probably just, like, a, a single-player campaign that you play through. It's exactly. But it'll it'll definitely leave you wanting a lot of, like additions to the genre which is good because like you'll have things in mind that going into another game like this you'll be like oh they could have done this because this other game did it really well yeah I, and i mean like i don't know there's there's something to be said about learning from other other games in the same genre mm -hmm. i i think it's fantastic i think this game is great that the story is mediocre but play it for the gameplay alone better than wolves of midgard oh that's vikings yeah I liked it better than Vikings. Yeah. I liked it better than Vikings. Even with the multiplayer in Vikings, you preferred that. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd probably pick up Vikings before this game again because of the multiplayer. But but yeah, this game is, is fantastic. I think even if you play 20 minutes of this game just to get a feel of the like movement and combat and the unique way it handles this world, I, I think that is reason enough alone to play this game. Fair enough. And there's plenty of reasons to play the extras. That's it. We did it. Six down, baby. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. We're like an hour in. Let's keep it yeah. going. Uh, the first extra <laughs> for this month is... Oh, God. Hold on. Syzygy. 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 That's how it's pronounced. 
Yes, it is a conjunction or opposition, especially of the moon with the sun or a pair of connected or corresponding things, which is this game. Can you connect that to the game? Oh, 100%. Yeah, okay. Connected or corresponding things. That's what this whole game is, is this like... Uh, the the game is a bunch of tiles that are connected to each other, and your only the only mechanic of solving these puzzles is uh, pressing space changes the layout. So you go from square tiles to triangle tiles to hexagon tiles, and that's how you that is this whole game's mechanic is changing the uh, the the formation of the tiles to move around the map. So like two square tiles may connect, but if you switch it to triangles, those two square tri become separate triangles that don't actually connect anymore. Interesting. It's very interesting. The game has a lot of like really unique puzzles and there's there's enemies and obstacles that you have to avoid, so like eventually it plays uh you know, enemies that move one space when you move a space and they like follow you and track your movement or enemies that just move in like straight lines. And so you have to like you have to change the shape of the map to get enemies to move to different areas and force them away from the exit, or you have to change the shape of the map to give you more time to escape another enemy. It's super cool. the The mechanic is really well worked out and very very simple, but the puzzles are are very complex and in, in not like a very bad way. It's it's super straightforward. It's super easy to get, but you'll spend some time on these puzzles because like. As we went back to earlier, there's there's mathematically probably only one solution for most of these puzzles, but the way the maps are set up, it feels more engaging, and you you feel like you have to put some active thought into it as you're playing, which is which is very good. I I enjoyed the puzzle mechanic of this game a lot. Well, that's pretty sweet. Would you play it on like a mobile device? You'd say it seems like that kind of a game. Oh, it'd be fantastic on mobile. It'd be fantastic on mobile. Yeah. And and it's really cool. The whole game is like it's it's this surrealist game. It like every level just gives you one line of dialogue and that's it. There's no like story, there's no cutscene. There there is story and there is like a world and every puzzle you're solving is giving you like one little weird obscure line that seems to make no sense about the world kind of. So it's it's very surrealist and it's hard to pull any sort of information from it. It feels very absurd and disjointed, but in like a very deliberate manner. They meant it to be this way. And it's charming. It's fun. It, it 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 makes sense with the themes and the presentation of the puzzles, too. Yeah, I like the art. It's very cute. It is. And the really cool part, one of one of my favorite features was when you change the uh, the tiles, the shape of the tiles, not only do the tiles change, the music changes and the text changes. So if you're if you're using squares, everything looks pixelated and the music has this sort of like 8-bitty tinge to it if you use uh if you if you switch to triangles all of a sudden the pixels become triangulated on all of the text and the music gets this sort of like sawtoothy waveform to it and then if you use polygons it, it becomes like a little more rounded out like everything becomes like polygon shaped and like be feels polygon is not the right word <laughs> uh, an octagon i think right or something along those lines uh, like a I, hexagon, hexagon. hexagon i believe it was a hexagon hexagon yeah uh, so they get, like, a little more rounded because the hexagons are almost circular. And so, like, the music feels more full and the text is all, like, almost shaped like real text at a certain point. It's super cool. Like, the whole world changes when you press the space bar. The uh, next one that we have here is also a little fun one. Uh, it might actually be a bigger one eventually uh, when it's finally officially released. Editor Johnny here. We forgot to mention the name of the game. This game's name is Fate of Kai. But uh, it's developed 
by Trilight Game Studio. It is a Humble original. Uh, it is also published by Trilight Game Studio. Not by Humble, interestingly. Uh, a very unique comic book story uh, about a boy with a treasure chest chained around his leg. The demo uh, for Humble is around seven chapters long and ends on a really satisfying reveal, so if you really want to play it, I would recommend it. Uh, the primary game mechanic is to write down these like idea bubbles that characters come up with uh, in a journal, and then you have to move the location of the idea bubble to another point in the comic in order to find a path forward. That, that, that's the main mechanic. So it's like to, to, to grab an idea like open or uh, run or uh, jump, and then you grab that idea, and then you, you take it from one failing path, for example, and then you move it, you go backwards in the comic, and then you go forwards again, and then you find a different point, and then you put it in there, and then you can progress. So it's all about That's trying... That's super interesting. Yeah, and it it makes like a like the 2D comic viewing experience, because this is just a 2D comic, but with an interactive element where you're forced to like kind of go into the comic and sort of reach in and find actions and then apply them in different spots... It brings you more into the headspace of the character in a weird way, while also being this fun uh, fourth dimensional like uh, wall breaking or fourth wall breaking like uh, mechanic where you can like you know zoom in on certain panels to get more detail or go in the past uh, to like find out what happened in the history of a bridge for example, and then you find out that like oh a guy tripped and fell and like unleashed a demon and because the demon was unleashed the bridge was broken. And then you just switch the who was holding an urn, and then suddenly the bridge is fine in the future, you know. And like these like cute little segments like that that only last a couple segments seconds, but they just are filled with character and they're filled with like, uh, it's just a sense of creative imaginativeness. Like I just I enjoyed it. It was like I I thought that it was kind of simple at first because it was just like about a kid with a chest strapped to his thing, and he looks at his arm and he's like, oh, a castle and uh, a chest on the the thing with the castle i guess i have to go to the castle with my chest uh and like that's the whole game you know and, and there's no like uh dialogue necessarily like there's no text for the characters as they're speaking it's all done through pictures uh the only text in the game really is done through these poems that are bookended in between the different chapters so and these poems are really cool they give you like a really good vibe of what you're kind of going in for for that chapter and uh they're they're just very cryptic and they they keep you guessing a little bit and each chapter has a different sort of mechanical twist to it. There's like a gambling chapter where you uh, try to make a deal with this guy who can like read your mind and he's like this supreme gambler. And then after you deal with him, you know, you go and like get lost in a forest and you have to like make your way through the forest where like flipping the page left and flipping the page right goes a different direction in the forest. And, and like just That's genius so stuff like that. Like that, that it plays with the idea of, of your idea of what a comic is and then flips that on its head in order to make it a puzzle. Uh, <laughs> and, like, you know, there's this other part that is... Uh, you become, like, a work slave uh, where you have to do things on a certain time schedule because uh, you're, like, trapped by, like, this demon sort of thing that, that has trapped your uh, ability to go backwards in time. So you can only go forwards, and you have to sort of figure out how you want to progress uh, as your character by only having the ability to go forwards and sort of make a little bit of incremental progress towards something else. And you have to figure out, you know, what to do from there. Um, I, I want more virtual comics like this. I, I just – it was so cool. I, I got so engrossed in the game way more than I was expecting, especially with the premise because I wasn't really brought in by the premise. Uh, it just pulls you into the shoes of the protagonist, fumbling around, searching for amber uh, answers, um, uh, these largely wordless panels. 
it's so interesting because it sounds like the core mechanic is almost identical to Iron Dangers in a way. In that idea that like you can see the whole timeline and you're just moving back and forth to adjust little things to make it go the right way. I mean, yeah, like that's totally the case. Uh, I guess I'm going to get into a bit of a spoiler section. I I've already spoiled a tiny bit of it, but... To avoid spoilers, skip ahead to... 1 hour, 12 minutes, and 8 seconds. Um... So, like, there's this one section uh, later on in the game where you're trying to infiltrate a city, uh, and you have to, like, go into the past to, like, make this girl not have a fight with her mom so that she's, like, in the present, and she's playing her little thing in the, in the street corner. And then you have to make somebody else trip on her, and then she gets into a fight with the guy in order so that you can escape. Like, there's this whole sequence of events that you have to, like, like in order to get this chase sequence to, like, actually work correctly. You have to, like, go into the past and, and do all this other crazy stuff. And, and it, like, I don't know, there's just something so much fun about, like, manipulating with the, 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 the past and the present through this uh, comic book sort of interface that uh, I was super engaged with it. I loved it. Try out the demo. If, you, if you, anything about this sounds interesting to you. Hell yeah. Oh, and also that, like, ends on a, a very interesting, like, potential, like, fourth wall-breaking thing where it's like, oh, maybe this is actually taking place in the mind of a distracted, bored adult, actually. And there might actually be some sort of a, a real-world element to this as well in the final game, where there's, like, more sort of aspects of you in the real world playing as the real Kai rather than just, like, the boy Kai. So, uh, yeah, very, very interesting. I, I, I want to see more about this game. It, it has got me hooked. That's the games. We've done it. We've got through it all. I hope you all enjoyed. Yeah! So, oh god, these are our games of the month from last month. Uh, what's your game of the month? Uh, my game of the month is still Goat of Duty. Like, that one takes the bundle, honestly. <laughs> so, the Sunless series was very good, but I just fucking loved Goat of Duty. Well, if you're gonna do it from last month, like, I, the only one that I really enjoyed here, I mean, besides the extra, was uh, Fantasy Blacksmith. And I'm not, like, that crazy about it. I'm not, like, that big of a stan. I feel like it has Tropico to... still wins for Tropico you. Tropico still wins. I love Tropico. It's so much fun. I... <laughs> it's just like one of my favorite games right now, and I'm going to be playing a ton it's of it. It's good. So... Yeah. <laughs> what else are we playing? Uh, I've been playing more Hades. I finally got to my dad in that game. Finally finally got to fight my dad. I didn't beat him. With some Rogue Company, some Smash Bros with everyone. Uh, Yeah, I think that's pretty much it. I've been doing a lot of stuff, and I feel bad that I didn't write it all down, because I'm going to forget most of it. Uh, but I definitely did the Smash Bros. thing with you. That was a lot of fun. Oh, we did Phasmophobia, too! We did do Phasmophobia with Redux! Yeah! So good! We, we made friends with a streamer named Reduxion. Uh, by the way, if you're listening to this Redu Redux, uh, hi, I love you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Uh <laughs> 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 um, yeah, I'm just trying to figure out what other games I've played recently. Home? home uh oh i got dead by daylight so i'm gonna play dead by daylight for the first time soon i'm very excited about that uh i've been trying to play the animal crossing uh halloween update but i keep getting distracted uh yeah i don't know I I'll, I'll forget everything yeah uh the charity is still charity colon water uh it's a nonprofit that brings safe clean drinking water to people in developing countries and their their business model and all their projects and proofs are all up on their website. It's super cool. You can see all their finances. It's they're a very open and transparent tra charity. So support them by buying video games. Yeah, do that. Do the thing, y'all. 
I mean, give them a tax write-off is what I meant. The new games on Epic Game Store are... Uh, well, one of them is Layers of Fear 2. Layers of Fear 2. The other one that was new is loading the Epic Game Store like professionals. Gotcha Quest 2 is the other one. We'll, uh, we'll put up the Epic Bundle uh, free article, too, for all the games again. Also, next week, they're giving out Blair Witch and the Ghostbusters video game, which, that's dope. Blair Witch? I'm so glad I haven't bought that yet. I've been That's been on my list for a hot minute. I like how that's the one that you're excited about, not the Ghostbusters video game remastered. Bro. Well, that too, but Blair Witch is pretty new. I'm surprised that one's being given away. I'm not surprised. I heard it was kind of mediocre. It's like a horror game. I don't know. I mean, like, it's it's spooky, but it's, like, the exact same as Slenderman. Okay. What's your, what's your, so question this month is, uh, which piece of folklore would you want adapted into a video game? What's your answer, my guy? Egypt. Uh, (laughs) no, I don't know. Fuck. (laughs) You fucking hit me with it. I wasn't ready. Uh, I should have fucking thought about this too. I didn't, I didn't think about anything. I didn't think about anything. (gasps) I want a game based on the green, uh, Paul Bunyan, Paul Bunyan. Paul Bunyan video game. Paul Bunyan. I want, I want a Paul Bunyan video game. That's, yeah, Paul Bunyan. <laughs> All right, subscribe to our podcast. Check out the streams we do, Backstab and Gefocker. Uh We have a Patreon as well that you can donate to. Uh, you join our Discord, it's going, it's popping off. We, we tweet about all of our different things, and, and uh, we also have a Steam group. Please, 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 please tell your friends about the podcast if you enjoy it, because, like, please. we don't have any other way to let people know that this exists. Literally, Advertising our streams, is too expensive. Our streams are our only marketing. Literally, that's it. Please watch. <laughs> tell your friends. Tell we them. need your help. Please. I'll get back on you. I'm going to start doing 24-hour streams every month. It's going to be miserable. Suburban Mom, I beg for your listens. Please, Suburban Moms. Suburban Moms, please. Please. You're our primary demographic. You're the only ones who will listen to us. My mom, please. Thank you for watching. I just realized why I've been having a really hard time with this. There we go. Wait, no. Hold on. I believe in you, Johnny. You You can do it. There it is. Okay. I did not have my monitoring turned on for my uh, microphone, and so I've been talking this whole time, and I was like, why does my voice sound so dumb? <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. You're like, why am okay. I... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This sounds better. I can now focus. Uh, so... <laughs> Like, almost, the podcast is almost over, and you're like, now I can focus. <laughs> I hadn't had to talk this much until now. 